The Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within community. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. Related, related. <laughs> it's Brandon with my co-host, Joe. Just felt like you needed an echo on that. Drive it home. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. So you've read half of Shantaram now? Yeah. So you started the audiobook, and then I bought it for a cruise, and I felt like I read a lot, like 500 pages, and apparently I'm only chapter two. It's a, it's a long book. Yep. But it's yeah. a good book. Yeah. And I can't read it fast, because it's... You don't it's want got to. really good descriptions, and it's unbelievable. It's a good book. So if you haven't read Shantaram, start now. It's a long one. We have a really cool guest today. I'm excited to have him. We have Rodney McBride, Dr. Rodney McBride, that is. Glad to have you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what you do. We want to dive into your journey. So I'm a chiropractor, but I specialize in a specialty called AK, Applied Kinesiology, and that uses the muscle testing to assess and diagnose dysfunctions in the body. And typically it would address like structural issues, nutritional, emotional issues. Most dysfunctions tend to be one or two or all three of those dysfunctions. Really interesting stuff. I had the opportunity to go through one of these sessions. It blew my mind. I've never heard or experienced anything like it. it was, how, how did you get into chiropractic? I've been in the healthcare field since 1998. And so I started out as a massage therapist and a personal trainer, and I did that for years. But I had always had a lot of chiropractic colleagues that I'd go to seminars with for nutrition. And just being around them, you know, kind of influenced me over time that maybe I wanted to be a chiropractor. At the time, wasn't really quite interested. And uh, but I think being around their environment just kind of got to see what they do. You know, chiropractors don't just adjust. I mean, some chiropractors do adjust. That's what they do. And that's all they do. Some of them do adjusting self-tissue. Some of them work in a specialty. So they yeah. might work in pediatrics, aka again, functional neurology. The list goes on and on. But I was always interested in that muscle testing world. So all the chiropractors I hung out with or went to seminars with, they all did muscle testing. So in layman's terms for our listeners, what is muscle testing? So the original muscle testing is from probably the 1920s, 30s, and that was like a physical therapy-based muscle testing. And so that was to test strength in the muscle. So a muscle has a certain action. You would put the muscle in that position, and then you'd have the person you know, push against your resistance, and you would test to see how much strength they have. Muscle testing for AK is a little bit different. It uses the same positioning in terms of the muscle testing, but it's not about strength. It's about function. So you want to see if the muscle's on and working, first of all, and then you can use that muscle test to basically from that point on diagnose what you want to diagnose. With the applied kinesiology, and for the purposes of this show, anytime he says AK, he's talking about applied kinesiology. We're going to say that for short, but there were hundreds of vials in all these different cases and different categories. Is this, is this when you went? Yeah. yeah. So describe it. Like you go in for your test. How did, how did it start? Yeah. Well, so the muscle testing, it's just to, to, it's telling you, it's almost like a yes or no, or like an on or off switch. So he would test if my arm could hold its weight or if it would fall as he touched these different boxes of vials. If it did fall, you'd open up that case and find specifically within that category which one of those things was causing to fall. So for instance, was it mycotoxins? Was it mold? Was it whatever? Is that an okay description, Dr. McBride? Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. I would say it'd be the opposite. If there's an attraction to the vial in the kit, your muscle would actually go strong, not weak. Oh, strong, yeah. not weak. I yeah. see. Okay, yeah. so I had it backwards the whole day. <laughs> Excellent. 
So if your muscle does go weak, that means there's no attraction. Okay. So, so that means that's not an issue. Oh. But if you hold the vial up to you or touch it and a muscle goes strong, that means that has to be addressed. And then remind me the three categories of where the dysfunction can be. Mental, structural, and nutritional. It was kind of interesting to see how they all intertwined. Now, just so I can give an example from my understanding and to kind of help the listeners along, if you had an ankle injury, so that's a physical obstruction. Mm -hmm. If it heals, but you are used to protecting that area and develop an imbalance for favoring that ankle, that's mental. It can be, yes. Right? And we talked on the show quite a bit about glycation and buildup of sugar on joints and epithelial tissue of blood vessels and things like that. So even that could impact the joint. And that's the nutritional thing, or maybe it's inflammation. Sure. Does that pretty much cover those three different categories? Whenever you have an injury, I mean, what the main component about injuries is that the brain stores them. Yeah. So whenever you have an injury, the brain wants to protect you. It doesn't want you to get hurt again, right? So that sprained ankle, if you sprained that ankle, you could be susceptible to spraining it again, depending on how bad the sprain was, depending how balanced your nutrition is. And you're right, the motion behind the injury itself, like where did it happen? Were you on like a football field or something sprained it and you were going for the end zone and couldn't get to the end zone. But yeah, there's multiple layers of, but yeah, that the injury definitely needs to be cleared from the brain, I think is what I've been finding in AK. Because if you don't, that's the part that makes you susceptible to getting hurt again. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Cause if you do favor that, especially in a high a contact sport like that, if you hesitate for a second, you can tweak something, you can get nailed and not be prepared for. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that can impact. You. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I would definitely say when a patient, new patient comes in, injuries is one of the first things always clear on their body. Yeah. And those injuries could be a week ago. They could be from 30 years ago. Yeah. So either so when way. So you say clear, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? So there's a technique in AK called injury recall technique. And so what you would do is there's two ways you can do it. You can put the person back in the position that they got hurt and you can muscle test several different muscles. If those muscles go weak, multiple muscles, that means they're globally hypertonic or I guess hypotonic. So the brain's still reading the injury. That's one way you can do it. The other way you can have the person place their hand over the area where they got hurt. And if you muscle test it and they go weak, that's a sign that there's an injury recall. So the technique is to have the patient leave their hand over the area where they got hurt. And then you would, the doctor would flick the ankle, kind of like an ankle flick, just real light. And that clears the signaling from the injury. Now, is that like a nervous system thing or a muscle? Like how does... It is a muscle thing, yes. So there's a reflex called the withdrawal reflex. So when you get, let's say you're walking down the street and you go to take a step and like you see a nail or something and you kind of like withdraw your foot back, right? So your, your kind of leg and whole leg kind of pulls back towards you, kind of goes in the flexion, we would say. So that's called a withdrawal reflex. So that injury recall technique basically um, overrides that withdrawal reflex. It turns it off. So yes, it's neural in terms of it tells the brain, hey, don't think about this anymore. We're going to clear it. And now we're going to go back to a clear signal. Now, what is it about flicking the ankle that clears that? How does that, what is the mechanism? How does that work? And why couldn't you flick, I don't know, my earlobe? Why is it? So you could, the ankle is one area you can do it. And the upper cervical is another area you can do it. Okay. So like the, uh, the C1, C2 cervicals in the upper part of the neck, you can use that area too. The ankle was used first in AK back in the 70s because there was some research that was done by a podiatrist 
who actually showed that a lot of chronic injuries in the body were related to feedstuff. Yeah. And so he didn't do injury recall, but he did other ways, other ways to fix the injuries in people's yeah. foot. You probably shouldn't Google feet stuff. <laughs> anyway. So there was a doctor in AK named Dr. Wally Schmidt. He had read this guy's research and had found that the ankle joint itself is related to injuries generally in the body. And so the people in AK decided, oh, let's try to figure this out, try to take it to you know, a different level. And they figured out if you basically move the ankle joint. So if you, I guess what I would say, like extend the ankle joint, like pull on it and then flick it up. That's what resets the actual injury. If you actually push the ankle joint, compress it together, that actually will show the injury and stuff. So it's not going to heal damaged tissue, but if it's a pattern from an old injury, it's signaling kind of the nervous system to stop working as if that injury is still present. Is that kind of the deal? Yeah. So there's what's called proprioception in the body. Yep. And proprioception is basically how your body understands where you are in three dimensions, right? So like we're sitting here right now in chairs. We know we're in a room, right? My car is parked outside. My keys are here. That's proprioception. It's your awareness. Yeah. So when it comes to movement, proprioception, the joints, or I guess the proprioceptors in the joints basically tell the brain what's going on in your environment. When you have injuries, those injuries can disrupt those proprioceptors and they can give the wrong signal back to the brain. Okay. Right. So like, yeah. again, that sprained ankle, you sprained it pretty good. Yeah. There was probably some torn ligaments, torn, whatever, torn tissue of some kind. Yes. That's a separate component that needs to be treated, but the nerve component of it has to be addressed because the proprioceptors are now giving the wrong signal back to the brain, which is why you hobble, right? Or, you know, walk funny and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, and until that, until all that's corrected. Yeah. Now, do you think, and this is just a random question because I think about this stuff. Do you think that hobbling is a necessary adaptation while it's in the inflammation stage that allows it to heal by taking some pressure off of it? Do you think that we're designed to do that to properly heal? Sure. I mean, the body wants to protect itself, right? Yeah. So in any injury state, yeah, you're going to move as little or as least yeah. as possible. And then the problem is once that inflammatory state is done, we're still hobbling because our muscles and proprioceptors are still remembering that pattern. And so what AK is trying to do is clear that. So the body goes, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. And that helps with compensation injuries and things like that. Exactly. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, is there, are there specific nerves and things connected to the ankle? Because you also mentioned cervical spine. So does it have to do with where nerves innervate in the spine for different functions? Because, you know, like the atlas vertebrae, like headaches and things like that. And then as you go down and what nerves connect to what, is that kind of the... So every nerve slash vertebra does actually represent a certain component of the body. So you mentioned C1 can cause headaches. C1 is also food sensitivities. Yeah. So... so yeah, that C1 nerve, if it's bothering somebody, if they're having headaches, you could look at that structurally, the C1. Headaches are also liver-related. Yeah. So if there's some congestion in the liver, usually means your blood is not being filtered, being processed properly, so that can back up, cause headaches. But then again, like I said, they can then other components. So like I said, C1 is a food sensitivity. So if you have food sensitivities of some kind, gluten, dairy, whatnot, that can possibly, if you have enough of buildup in your body, cause that C1 to move out of place. Yeah. And that can structurally affect you. Yeah, that makes sense. And the vertebrae all the way down definitely represents something. So C2 is usually what's considered related to the sinuses. 
consists of C4 thyroid, C6 stomach, C7 liver, and et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. Now, is that kind of where like acupuncture and acupressure and so, and I don't, I, I always get those backwards. I don't remember. I, I think acupuncture is with the needles and acupressure is not with needles. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Is that different than the vertebrae or is that following something entirely different? So acupressure is part of the massage world. Mm -hmm. And so that's using acupuncture points. Instead of using needles, you would use your fingers or some type of tool to put pressure into the acupuncture point. To basically release the energy or energy. Acupuncture is going to use the specific needles for those acupuncture points and stuff. So, yeah, they're going to insert their needles on wherever they want to insert them, you know, so it's going to be along the meridian or a certain point that represents something. Okay. Now, I want to back up to earlier in this interview, you'd mentioned hypotonic. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? So, a muscle, when we say in physiology, muscle physiology, a muscle wants to be normal tonic. And that means that it's functioning normally, meaning it, it can turn on and off when it needs to, right? There's no interference in the muscle. And is it the proprioceptors that tell it to turn on and off? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So in an ideal world, we want your muscles to be normal tonic, right? That means they're functioning properly again. They're turning on and off. But if a dysfunction comes along and disrupts those proprioceptors, that can cause what's called hypertonicity and hypotonicity. So hypertonicity would basically mean that the proprioception is turned up too high. Yeah. So, so like turning the volume up too high in the radio, like you don't need to listen to the song that loud, yeah. right? Turn it down some. Hypotonic is the opposite. It's, it's turned down too low. Okay. So, so basically you could say hypertonic is just, it's on all the time. It won't turn off. Hypotonic is off and won't turn on. Okay. There's a popular personal training cert, one I, I actually keep up is National Academy of Sports Medicine. And within that, you can get a corrective exercise certification. And they talk about muscle imbalances and potentially like anterior, posterior pelvic tilt. Maybe if you sit all day, perhaps your hip flexors or your hamstrings are chronically in that state. So that would be hypertonic. Mm -hmm. So the proprioception is telling it, even after you're not sitting, to still stay in that shortened state, which then can cause low back pain and all kinds of other stuff. Is that kind of along the same lines? Correct. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah that just, the muscle just won't turn down. Yeah. Right? It's just always on and yeah. on and on. It just won't turn off. Uh, so it's not always injury. Sometimes it could be overuse Correct. Or, or just staying in one position too long, which is interesting. I just had a client ask me, is it better to, to do a standing desk or to sit or to go back and forth? And I said, honestly, I think that just don't stay in one position too long. And I actually prefer them to be up and down as they fatigue. So that as they fatigue, other muscles aren't compensating. And that's kind of going back to that hyper and hypotonicity thing. But I never really thought about the proprioceptors responding not just to injury, but in but I just now connected it with that world. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So go back to the ergonomics you're just talking about. I typically prefer standing desk over a sitting desk. Yeah. Only because from a chiropractor perspective, you know, when you sit compared to your standing, there's a higher compressive load. Yeah. Right. So you got gravity pushing through your body. When you're sitting, you don't have the use of your legs, basically, to take some of that support. Yeah. So the force pushing through your spine and through your vertebra, right, and through your disc and everything is higher than when you're standing. So yeah. when, when you're standing, you have your legs, and that will cut it in half, basically. Yeah. So, so if you can stand, do a standing desk. I do prefer that. But yeah, in the end, do what, you know, what's comfortable. Yeah. Because I've also, I've heard both arguments that, you know, if you stand too long, while well, things fatigue, things start to compensate. So I feel, figure the best of both worlds will, okay, if you start getting tired there, sit. You get tired there, stand. And just don't be in one position too long to where that overcompensation takes takes place. That's kind of my stance on it. But 
Um, it's interesting to hear a chiropractor's perspective too. And that's a really good point about the increased load standing. It might depend on the person, the situation, the all kinds of stuff. Sure, it could depend on your, your shoes you're wearing, right? Yeah. The surface you're standing on. Yeah. Are you standing on wood, carpet? Yeah. Right. You're standing on concrete, you know? Yeah. Uh, like you said, how long are you standing? You know, are you tilting to one side? Yeah. You know? Are you leaning on your elbows on the leaning, desk yeah. standing? Yeah. And that can create a whole host of stuff. Right. Because it pulls your traps up and then you got right. a lot of tightness in the neck. So. Right. So it's all, all situational, I guess. I would basically say, you know, agree with you. Do it the best you can, whatever you're doing. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, Fire Within Nation, has this ever happened to you? You go online to find a quick recipe for mashed potatoes, but first you have to hear about Grandfather's Farm in 1929. When I was a boy. <laughs> the first time you had a potato, and like six and a half chapters later, you get to the ingredient list. Tasted like dirt. Drives me nuts. So me and Joe have worked to solve that issue for you. If you head to firewithinnf.com and check out the recipe section, healthy recipes following the Fire Within way. And it's just the recipe, no blog, you're welcome. You'll find recipes like steak chimichurri. There's a bananas foster smoothie recipe. There's a sourdough French toast. Lots of healthy things. Make your own ranch dip and, and tons more. So head to firewithinnf.com. Check out the recipe section and enjoy. Now let's talk about the boxes of aisles. So how does that work? Like they all just look like water, but they're, they're all different. These test kits are designed to basically test what you're looking for. Now, what does that mean? That means that, so for example, I have a test kit for heavy metals, yeah. right? So there's 60 vials in there and there's 60 different heavy metals. And I'm muscle testing those to see if you have any of those heavy metals in your body. Now, what do the test vials hold? Well, they, yes, they hold water. And the best way to describe the energism is there's what's called an intrinsic data field. And basically it's a chemical message or a certain chemical. So for example, let's say you got mercury in your body. Mercury has a specific chemical equation, right? That's also known as an intrinsic data field. Well, there's a machine that can actually formulate that, that chemical structure and it uses water to hold it. Yeah. And that's what the water's doing in the vial. When you're doing the testing, are we using you as a conduit between that and myself? Because when you touch one, and test my arm with the other hand, is it, is your body the conduit for that? In terms of the muscle test? Yes, but not the actual vials. So okay. I can't hold the vial up to me and then test you. I no. have to hold the vial up to you. Okay. Right. So that would technically not be right if I hold the vial up to me because I'm, I'm not, I don't need to be testing me. No. I need to be testing you. Because I remember you would muscle test with one arm. You would touch the cases with another one mm -hmm. and the, then my arm would, do something different. And then if that happened, then you go to individual ones. So how is, I'm trying to figure out that relationship and, and is it just, are my close enough to them that it's not because it's going through you? It's just, it happens to be close enough to me. Yeah. So you have an energy field that projects off your body. Right? Is that the magnetic one or something? There's different ways you can call it. They call it chi. Now, they call okay. it like the tor okay, gotcha. Taurus field, MFT field. So if I hold the test kit up to you with all the vials in it and the muscle goes strong, mm -hmm. that means there's, there's what, what we call an attraction. Yeah. So it means there's something that needs to be addressed in there. Yeah. So that's when I set the kit down and then I muscle test myself. I touch the vials myself to see what it is yeah. until I find the strong one. Yeah. Okay. So again, if I pull the mercury out vial out because your muscle went strong on that one, then I would pull that vial out and then have you hold it or sit it next to you. And then I would give you the remedy that would clear it. 
So yeah. the, the remedy would be the supplement. Okay. That's very interesting. It is interesting. It's been around for actually quite a long time. AK originally came out in 1964 and it was developed by a chiropractor named Dr. George Goodhart. He was from Detroit, Michigan. Reason why he actually started doing it because he had patients that he just couldn't get better. You know, he'd get some patients better and some of them just wouldn't get better. Yeah. So he just started doing research and kind of finding out what other modalities were out there, what he could do, you know, to help his patients. And he discovered muscle testing and he started practicing the muscle tests, learning them and started applying them to his patients to see if there was something functional going on with the muscles. And the story goes, one of his, the original story is one of his patients had some type of shoulder issue and there's a muscle underneath the arm called the serratus anterior, mm -hmm. like that, that superhero yep. muscle you always see, like little fingers, right? Oh, Bruce Lee one. Yeah, exactly. That muscle was, I guess we would say hypotonic, like we said earlier, right? It was inhibited. It wasn't on. So he'd go to muscle test that muscle and the guy couldn't hold the muscle test. It would just go weak. Yeah. Right. And Dr. Goodhart basically said, well, if it's not on, okay, that's affecting his shoulder, but why? Right. So he went and started rubbing the insertion points of the serratus anterior muscle and the muscle went strong. And that would ended up becoming his first technique called origin insertion technique. And he realized, okay, this one is a muscle, muscle neural component problem. So when he rubbed the ends of the muscle point, it turned the muscle back on yeah. It made it stronger. Yeah. So, so that was the beginning. And then he just started adding other elements over time, you know, the nutritional stuff, right? The emotional stuff, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Now, how long would a muscle be corrected from something like that? How long does that effect take? Could, could they get home, sit back down, and now the serratus interior is back messed up again? Or, or how long of a difference does it make? It's a good question. So it depends on the layers of the dysfunction. Yeah. If it's just this, you know, like a trigger point, like he had rubbed, right? And that was all it was, it should stay on permanently. Yeah. Now, if it was more than the trigger point, let's say there was a nutritional component going on, right? So in AK, serratus is related to the lung. Yeah. Okay. So if there's a lung issue going on with this patient, right? Does he have something in his lung? You know, now, does that have to do with the proximity of the serratus interior to the lung? It's neurological. So where the nerves come out of the spine okay. and stuff. So where the nerves yeah. innervate a certain muscle, yeah. right? It's also related to that vertebra. Yeah. That makes sense. What are some of the really neat changes and success stories you've seen using AK? What are some good examples? I would definitely say the injury stuff is huge. Yeah. I had a patient years back, she had a bike accident and had fallen on her side and messed up her elbow. Yeah. And she had physical therapy on it and it helped, but she had this like this 10 degrees of range of motion where she couldn't get the, the full extension in her you know, right elbow. It just wouldn't go. Yeah. Just, you know, since she had done physical therapy, they got her to that point and done a really good job, but she couldn't get to the rest of that point. So we did an injury recall on her. You yeah. know, had her lay on her side, actually, the way she fell off her bike. So I've tested a few muscles. They all went and cleared the injury, hit a DTR, cleared the injury. And when she got up, she went and like she could fully extend her elbow. Yeah. Oh, that's that was, awesome. That was cool. There was a patient nutritionally who was having a lot of issues uh, digestive wise, a lot of nausea, just would eat things and make them sick, you know. And it ended up being that this patient had leaky gut. Yeah. They had a leosico valve problem, which is the valve between the small and large intestines that should be closed all the time for the most part, but was stuck open. Yeah. And so we put a nutrition program together for this patient and clear a lot of stuff out and all the nausea is gone. I wonder if that, does that work for something like gastroparesis? What's that? It's very, very similar. It's a valve that's supposed to be 
shut, but it's not. So it's allowing things to leak. I've had a couple clients over the years uh, with some gastroparesis incidents, and it's, it can really, really be, be painful and cause a lot of issues with foods like lettuce and things like that. But uh, I wonder if the ileocecal valve, if, if it's sim- similar to that or even just another, another name for it. I haven't heard that term. It, it could be possibly the same name. I haven't heard that term. But yeah, I mean, yeah. there's definitely a natural you know, function of the body, right? Certain things should yeah. be working at some point. Yeah, the ileocecal valve should be closed all yeah. the time for the most part, it, with the exception of when your small intestines has to pass waste into the large intestines, right? Yeah, you definitely don't want that mixing. You don't want that mixing. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the changes that came out of, of the AK that helped with that, that situation? So we could find out what foods are sensitive. Well, they were sensitive to the foods or and or allergens in the first place because they had leaky gut, yeah. right? So there was things getting into their bloodstream from their digestive tract that should be getting in, right? Yeah. That was overloading their liver. Yeah. The liver couldn't break it down. It was sitting in their blood, yeah. sitting wherever, and that was causing them distress. Yeah. The other part was the ileocecal valve was open too. And so you have the backup from the large intestines and the small intestines, right? Yeah. That, that, and, the, and if they have leaky gut, that also is getting into the blood, Yeah. right? So it was a matter of basically sealing that up. Right? Yeah. So we put a supplement regimen, or I put a supplement regimen together to basically help seal up the leaky gut and then close up the ileocecal valve. Yeah. We had to put them on a certain diet for the, for a time being, they couldn't eat certain foods and stuff. So I don't think they had true food sensitivities. I think the food sensitivities were a second thing because of the yeah. gut stuff. I see that a lot with my clients uh, with leaky gut. And uh, even if they like have a specific sensitivity to dairy or something, once all that's cleaned up and the liver's functioning, a lot of times those foods are tolerated better. Now, I know in my world, we would look at L-glutamine to, to kind of help with leaky gut. That'd be one of our main supplements. Mm-hmm. What, what would you use for leaky gut? So I use okra pepsin E3, which is a product from Standard Process. I use chlorophyll, which is also another product from Standard Process. And those things sometimes by themselves or together will clear up leaky gut. Huh. I actually do actually use L-glutamine sometimes myself yeah. and stuff. You can use chlorophyll for the ileocecal valve also too. Yeah. If the ileocecal valve, sometimes the ileocecal valve can be the opposite. Sometimes it's closed and won't open. Okay. Right. So there can be the opposite too. Usually that's vitamin D or calcium. Okay. You would need for that. We had, I think his name was Vernon. He lost a bunch of weight, reverse type 2 diabetes, and he had a functional doctor, and he mentioned the okra pepsin then. It was an episode we did a long time ago. Mm. So so I guess I have heard that before. I just recalled it. Mm. But, but but I guess it does really make a difference. That's really cool. Yeah, there's other supplements you can use too. You know, yeah. But those are my two go-tos because I like them a lot. They usually just clear up the leaky gut in a week, week and a half, you know, yeah. two weeks. I mean, the other things you want to remember too is like, the mucus that lines the small intestine, it's mostly water, right? So you want to make sure your client stays hydrated, yeah, right? Instead of drinks a lot of water, they can eat a lot of green leafy vegetables and stuff. It has chlorophyll in it. You know, yeah. that helps with the gut. Garlic helps a lot too. Yeah. You know, herbs, stuff, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. One of the things I love to ask my, my guests, if you were to tell somebody what are the top three changes to, to make in order to have a healthier or fulfilling life, what are the top three things? or pieces of advice you would give someone? Well, I would definitely say the things that I see, my healthiest clients, right, always do these, well, you said three things, there's four things, I'll name off three. Yeah. One is they always eat organic, right? They eat very clean, eat organic. You know, if they're eating out, they try to eat at organic places. That definitely does make a difference, for yeah. sure. I've seen it in them, you know, how they feel. The other thing is too, they exercise on a regular basis or some type of activity. So yeah. It doesn't have to be a sport, you know, but running, walking, or go play a sport or do whatever, right? Yeah. Just some physical activity. Just go move your body. Yeah. The last thing is 
that they keep their mind busy. Yeah. So they read, do puzzles. Read Chantaram. Right. Any of that. <laughs> as long as they're keeping their mind busy, I think is what's important. Yeah. Does that, does that include Instagram scrolling? I wouldn't do too much of it. <laughs> but if kidding. you need to do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show, explaining the wild world of applied kinesiology and, and all the potential benefits. So listeners, if you've tried a lot of things and they're not working, maybe this could be a tool in your tool belt if you want to consider it. I definitely found it fascinating and I appreciate you sharing our, your knowledge. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Thank and then you for if, having me. And then if they wanted to get in contact with you, how would they find you? Best way is my website. So bagofbonescharopractic.com. You can get a hold of me through there. I have my information on there. So you can text or call. You can call, you can call not always around the phone, but texting and email is probably the best. But yeah, bagofbonescharopractic.com. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, go check us out at firewithinnf.com and sign up for Refuel, a weekly email with recipes, videos, and tips to stoke the fire within. Also, you can join the Fire Within community by being added to our Facebook group. And don't forget to follow us on social media.